seasons um in the world of baseball some very very sad news if you have not yet heard that diamondback center fielder sterling Marte announced monday on twitter that his beautiful wife had passed away from a heart attack that's all the information that we have received supposedly she had a broken leg was in the hospital a broken ankle and she had a heart attack so our prayers go out to him and his entire family. Uh, we are definitely praying for you, Sterling. In other baseball news, uh, Bartolo Colon, I mean, he's got to be like 47 years old, says he wants to return one more year. And he says if he has a choice of which team he would like to play for, it would be the New York Mets. And you know... It's amazing. Bartolo Colon is just amazing. Colon looking for his first hit of the year. Oh, he tries one. Deep left field. That goes up to him. Back near the wall. It's out of here. Bartolo has done it. The impossible has happened. the dugout as Bartolo takes the long trot, his first career home run, and there will be nobody in the dugout to greet him. <laughs> this is one of the great moments in the history of baseball. Bartolo oh my goodness, was it ever. What a great, great, great moment. I still remember it. I still remember the call. And if you remember, we're not going to play the other play where he threw the ball behind his back to first base. Just an incredible play. Some, you know, what a great career this guy has had. But some amazing memories with the amazing New York Mets that they that he's definitely had. Um, you know, Major League Baseball is starting to open up camps. I saw yesterday that uh, the Miami Marlins are starting to open up their facilities. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, by the end of this week, will be opening up their facilities and a lot of other teams as well. Also, I believe it was the uh, governor of New York said that by the time baseball starts, that they will be able to use City Field and Yankee Stadiums 
to play games unless something drastic happens between now and then. So it looks like it's inevitable. The game of baseball is going to be starting soon. We're going to hear something by the end of the week, not just in Major League Baseball, but we're going to also hear stuff coming down from the NBA, I think, and the NHL as, you know, the month of May is quickly coming to an end. And especially for the NBA and NHL, if they have any plans of continuing their season, they're going to have to make a decision by the end of the year. But speaking about Major League Baseball, I'm looking at these rules. It's a 67-page rule, and I'm just going to highlight some of the things that I saw. Um, it's a safety protocol, and to me, it's almost like it's impossible to play the game. Now, I'm not knocking the protocol and the procedures they're putting in place. Safety is the number one issue. It comes down to safety, and they put this no spitting, no... Uh, you know, if you touch the baseball more than one player, you have to throw the baseball out of play. Well, at almost, I mean, not almost, every single player, two people is touching the ball. The pitcher is throwing the ball. If the guy doesn't hit it, the catcher is catching the ball. Right there, you got two players. So, you know, a lot of these rules are, you know, they're going to be very tough. Some of them got to wear masks. Some of them have to sit in stands. You can't have tobacco. You can't have uh, sunflower seeds. Uh, you have to be a certain space away from the base runners. Just a lot, a lot of difficult rules that are being put in place if they want to play the game. Now, Major League Baseball has come out and said they're going to lose. They do not play the season. They're going to lose billions of dollars. At the same time, they came out and said, even if they do play and it's without fans, they're not going to be able to make money as well. So it raises the questions. You know, I don't know about every single state. So I'm speaking for Arkansas, which doesn't have a major league team. They have a minor league team. But if you're allowing bars to open up, which they are, you're allowing restaurants to open up. And I think the capacity in a restaurant is anywhere between 100 to a couple hundred people based on the side of the rest, size of the restaurant. Now, they haven't opened it up completely. It's only 33%, and I believe next week it's going to go that much higher. But even some of these facilities you're seeing, like the NFL, they're allowing up to 75 people there. Why can't you allow fans in the stadium and sporadically set it up where maybe section by section you set them up? You know, you, you split the sections, maybe every third row. I mean, what do you sit in a row? Depending on the stadium, you may sit 10 to 20 people in a row. You know, once again, that is based on the size of your stadium and the way the layout is. It can be done. The stadium can have people in it. The fans can wear masks. There's no reason. Obviously, if they have a hot dog or something to drink uh, or something else to eat, they have to take the mask and they have to take it off. But, you know, there's got to be a time here where, you know, if it's that dangerous 
where you basically have to wear a bodysuit, you might as not well play the game. Wait till next year. And, you know, I'm, I've been the biggest advocate. I've been the biggest supporter of these players coming back and playing the game of baseball. And I still am. But not under these very difficult situations. You know, you cannot, you can't change, uh, you can change things that go on in the game, but the actual execution of the game and playing of the game, you can't change. It's just like I heard someone say, well, let's go to seven innings. That's not baseball. That's not baseball. Baseball is made for nine innings plus extra innings if that so happens. You know, when you start changing the game, and changing the division is not changing the game. It's just different teams. Where you play is not changing the game. But when you start changing the rules of the game, the actual game, then it's becoming an issue. And... If you have to throw every single baseball out, if you have to uh, keep the players from being able to shift in a certain position on the field, um, if you have to have the catcher do something that is different than normal, that's not baseball. That's changing the game. Changing equipment is fine. It's the rules of the game you can't constantly change. No matter what you do in the game of baseball, there is going to be multiple people engaging one way or another. You cannot stop it. The game of baseball is made to have the baseball be touched. The game of football is made to have the football be touched. What are you going to do in basketball? You call a timeout after each possession? Come on, guys. There's got to be some normalcy here in the game. Now, I want to make sure that I'm emphasizing again, it is very important safety. But where can you ever take safety too far? And it's a great question. Some people say, well, you can never be too safe. Well, Sometimes being too safe causes more injuries than not being safe at all. So it, it's, it's a very delicate situation. And, you know, that's the first part of it. Then you got this issue with the major league players again, where you have to start talking about what is going to go on with these negotiations. You know, they want the players to take additional cut. Somewhere here in order for the game of baseball to get back, they're going to have to come up with an agreement to play baseball. And it's a real tough thing to discuss, uh, especially on a sports talk show, because there's so much information in this, but something's got to give. If everybody else is giving, we got to figure out just some way to get the players' union and Major League Baseball together to make this announcement within the next couple of days that baseball is going to start back up, and this is how we're going to do it. That's what the other sports are doing, and that's what I think Major League Baseball should do. We'll be back right after this message. We're going to hear a little bit from Dickie V, and then shortly we're going to have Otis Kirk. 
He covers the Arkansas Razorbacks for Hogville and Pig Trail Nation. will be joining us live on the Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline. We'll be back right after this. My motivational tip of the day, it's all about this. Seek knowledge. That's right. Pursue knowledge related to what you're trying to chase, your dreams and goals. Get as much knowledge as you can. Read, observe, talk to people, communicate. Find out as much as you can. Yes, that preparation will get you ready to attack whatever goal you're trying to attack. So knowledge is vital. It's important. When you have knowledge, it gives you unbelievable power to feel good about yourself, to have confidence, that good self-esteem. You want that attitude. It's all about that mental attitude and trying to get ahead. And it all starts by getting as much knowledge that you possibly can get and pursuing the goal and dream you're chasing. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I want to remind you all that just in a couple of minutes, Otis Kirk will be joining us live. He covers the Arkansas Razorbacks for Hogville and Pig Trail Nation. I'm looking really forward to that conversation uh, with Otis. Also want to remind you, if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, right after this podcast, baby, that's all you got to do. You, you leave a message, you tell me what you want to talk about, I'll get you on the next episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. You can go to our email address, sports 528 at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're on Twitter, at Larry Frankis. That's with a U.S. at the end of Frank. Then, the fastest growing sports group page in America, Frankly Speaking Sports. You go to Facebook, you click the little uh, magnifying glass, you search for us, join our group, invite your friends, get all the latest updated news in the world of sports. Also, we will put all our podcasts, all our interviews on that as well. We even got another place now, YouTube, baby. We're on YouTube. You can listen to all the interviews, including the one we're doing with Otis Kirk. You can listen and go back to previous interviews we've done with such greats as Greg Orman from The Athletic, Al Keck. Rich Herrera, just to name a few. We got a lot of great people we've done interviews with. Go back, listen to it, enjoy them. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to have on the Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline. Um, the He covers the Arkansas Razorbacks for Hogville and Big Trail Nation, Otis Kirk. Otis, how you doing today? Yeah, I completely understand. You know, I'm going to need some help from you, Otis, because, you know, I lived in, I was born in New York, but I lived in Florida the last 36 years. So, you know, I obviously was an SEC East fan and pulled for the Gators when I was down there. You know, I was a big Gator fan. Um, do me a favor. Um, tell me what is... How do you know? I'm wearing an Arkansas shirt now. I'm wearing an Arkansas hat. What is it about Arkansas sports that you know? I've been here, and everybody I see talks about Arkansas, the Razorbacks. What is it that is so special about this college? 
Well, one thing, there's no pro teams in Arkansas. I mean, there's really not another. There's not another power. Uh, another power five school either. And then there's no, uh, you know, no no NFL or, or NBA teams in Arkansas. So everybody kind of rallies around the Razorbacks, you know. And uh, yeah, when when times are when the teams are doing good, it really gets crazy around here. But you know, football's been down. I think basketball's coming back. Baseball's of course, it's been very good the last two, well, several years. But uh, I, I think the biggest thing is there's just no pro teams. There's not any other power five. I mean, you, you, you know, you're talking about Florida, but you're there. You've got Miami. You've got Florida. You've got Florida State. You know, and then, of course, I've not counted Central Florida and schools like that. So here it's just Arkansas. Now, Arkansas State, but it's not a power five school. So I think everybody, I, I, I'm going to tell you, so I'll, I'll get off this real quick, but some of the biggest fans I know are people that went to other schools like like Henderson or Southern Arkansas or UCA. I mean, a lot of these people didn't even go to Arkansas. That's what's crazy. Some of the most avid fans I know went to smaller schools in Arkansas, but they're huge Razorback fans, you know. So that kind of, I guess that says a lot right there. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, I got my Razorback. I'm already ready to switch. You know, I'm hoping there's a football season and all that. And leading into that, um, Hunter Juracek, the athletic director, of the Razorbacks came out uh, probably a couple weeks ago and he made it very clear. He plans the on having the football team start practice on time and he plans on them on September 5th um, opening up and being ready to uh, go ahead and play their home opener on the 5th. Uh, do you see that plan being executed? Yeah, I do. I, now, now, with that said, this is what May the nineteenth. Yeah, We're talking three and a half months down the road, and then a lot of this stuff is anything we say today is subject to change <laughs> in a month or two because they're going to come back probably on June the first. The UVA students athletes are probably going to come back and open this thing up on June the first here, and 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 slowly but surely work back into sports, but. Uh, so anything we say today is subject to change, but right now I do think they'll play on September the 5th. Now, obviously, it, it, with the country opening back up to a degree, you know, and, and, and with the standards is in place and stuff, if, if something happens and there's a big spike of this virus again and and, and there's some deaths or something, I, I then obviously all bets are off. But right now, I think that's the plan. And I think right now it'll happen. The key is going to be, if they do play September the fifth, how many how many fans are going to be allowed to be there? You know, I mean, is it you know? And, and I'm not one of those that believes college football is going to play without fans. I, and I, not in the SEC anyway. I don't believe that. Now, will it be packed stadiums? I don't believe that either. But I don't think they, they're going to play without fans in the stands. I, I just don't see that happening. I, I think there will be fans. I, I think there'll be some rules. In place, and, and and as I said, we're talking three and a half months down the road. A lot more will be determined about how people handle this virus and and getting back into everything. With you know, uh, if they come back on June the first, like planned, and, and 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 there's not a lot of sickness or not a lot of red flags, then I think you'll see you know probably allow like I don't know what capacity, maybe half or two thirds or something. But 
I don't think you're going to see a full capacity. And I'm not going about just Arkansas. I'm going about any of the SEC schools. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. And, um, you know, it may sound funny, but I'd probably be one of the fans that would be there. Um, yeah. You know, I love, I, like I said, uh, SEC, there's no better football than SEC football. Now, wow. there's... You know, on a team that wasn't very successful, I want to talk a little bit of football first before we get into the other sports. On a team that wasn't very successful last year, there is a lot of excitement being built around this upcoming year in football. You got a new head coach in Sam Pittman, um, you know, obviously a completely different coaching staff, which means you're going to have a different offense and a different defense. And you got... The guy that I was used to watching for the last couple of years at quarterback in Felipe Franks. Um, what are your expectations for the upcoming year? Well, I think I think it could vary from anywhere from. I'll tell you what. What I I'm gonna kind of give you my best case scenario, and here's what I'm thinking: If Arkansas can win three of their four non-conference games, that obviously means they'd lose at Notre Dame. But they beat Louisiana Monroe, Nevada, and and and, and the other uh, little school they play. I think if you win those three, then you you beat Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Missouri. Now, and there's no guarantee they will. But I'm just saying, if they do, those are winnable games. And so that would be six and six right there. And that's assuming they lose everything else. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that. I don't know that you can chalk up Tennessee as an automatic loss. But on paper, they're obviously going to be pretty big favorite over Arkansas and then obviously A&M is too. It's just Arkansas and A&M play so close every year that you can almost throw out the records and, you know, I mean, that's a game that comes down to the last series the last few years. Um, I think if Arkansas can, the biggest thing is is four to six wins, be competitive in the losses, don't, and, and, and have a, what I want to say, have a have a vision. I mean, it's something that fans can see progress is being made. When you're in your second year and you're losing to San Jose State at home, you're getting blown out, you know, by Western Kentucky. There's not a vision there. I mean, there's not a – it doesn't look like there's a plan in place. I, th- I think getting pranks was huge. I mean, you've obviously seen more of him than I have. I've seen him some on TV, some – I remember when he was in high school. When he was a high school All-American. I, I mean, I saw him then. But uh, I think he helps. The biggest thing with Felipe, here's, here's my opinion on him. And we all have opinions how good he is or how great he's going to be. But my biggest thing is he's an experienced SEC quarterback who has won in the SEC. And I think that's huge for this team because I think right now what they need more than anything there, they need leadership at that position. And this is a guy who should be able to command some leadership in the fact that he's won in the SEC, he's been in the SEC, he's had success in the SEC. How many other players in Arkansas right now can say they've had success in the SEC? There's not very many. And so, therefore, I think that's a big deal getting pranks. I would say my expectations for this team is is, uh, uh, four to six wins, and if that's – if things go good, and they could, and obviously they could slip up on some other teams, but that's going to require a lot because it's. But those are games that they need to start winning. Is those non-conference games, uh, the non-conference games, and then you, you've got to be able to beat Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Missouri. You've got to be able to. Really, I don't know, but you've got to win those games and gears that are. They're winnable, and then other teams, like I said, some other teams will slip up along the way, and you can get a win here or there. But uh, 
I, that's my expectations for this team. It would have helped if they had spring football, but they didn't. But that's. But then again, the other three teams that I talked about in the SEC, one thing you can think about there, the Missouri, the Missouri Ole Miss, Mississippi State, they've got new coaches too. That's one thing to think about because people always say, well, Arkansas didn't have spring football with a new coach staff. But those schools have new coaching staff too. And I don't know if they had a few spring practices before it was canceled. I haven't done that much research on those three. But they didn't get through a whole spring. And so, therefore, they're kind of starting out in the same boat Arkansas is in. You see what I'm saying? Yep. And so, I, I think that, that gives Arkansas some chances there. Now, the bad news is two of those three SEC games are played away from home. Although one of them is a neutral side in Kansas City. Well, and you know what helps Arkansas as well? You know, Felipe Franks' first year was under McIlvain who was a very unsuccessful coach at University of Florida. So he knows what it's like to go from losing a, se- a losing season to a winning season, which he did with Dan Mullen um, the previous year. And then, of course, everybody knows what happened last year with his injury, that gruesome injury that he received before right. Kyle Trask. So to have a guy like that and now, you know, a team that lost – you know, I think they only won, what, three games last year? Um, two, games, two games last year and two the year before and four the year before. I think you're right. I mean, Franks can make up a lot of difference there. He really can. Right. Now, let's let's switch over to basketball a minute because, I, you know, the one thing that has impressed me since I've been here, and I've been in Arkansas. I'm, I'm in Bentonville right now, and that's where I'm living. And the major thing is it's almost like every single day – I hear about Eric Musselman doing another positive thing for the Arkansas basketball team. This guy just seems like he's one heck of a coach, an unbelievable recruiting staff. I think they had the um, the best recruiting staff so far in the last 16 years. I mean, this team has the potential to be a top 10 basketball team next year, don't they? Yeah, they do, and, and that's the thing about Musselman. And he, you know, back when this search was going on, I was on the SEC Network radio one morning, and they asked me this back when uh, they were looking at the coach at Houston and went at Wichita State. They said, is there any other dark horse out there that you would want to see Arkansas consider if they didn't get those two guys? And I said, yeah, Eric Musselman in Nevada. I mean, I'm telling you, because I talked to some people when he was in the G League out there, uh, or I the D League, I guess it was then. He was with the L.A. Defenders, and he was with some other team, and he had – twice the head coach in the NBA. I talk to people who tell me this is the best fundamental coach in the country. They, they say this guy is really good. They were telling me that. And I just was impressed with his work ethic. I mean, he's, he's almost a psycho in a sense. <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I'm talking about he is just a workaholic. And I mean, it's just like there's no – the guy, it's like he's wound up with batteries, and his batteries are always full. I mean, if you see what – so I don't mean when I say a psycho. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean in a good way. It's a compliment. And then, you know, I think the guy is – he's just – when you work hard – and, and one thing that I noticed, the biggest difference, I think, between him and Mike Anderson, and this is not a knock at Mike, because I actually like Mike. I always have. But I think he hired a much better staff than Mike had. I, I, I think that, uh, that, to me, is just the biggest difference. And I think that's a big difference with Sam Pittman and, and Chad Morris uh, is, is the difference in staff. I think Musselman and, and Pittman came in and got, got it. They, they hired top-notch staffs because you can't do it all by yourself. As hard as Musselman works, he can't do it all himself. And he went out and got 
a great recruiter from OU. He went and got a guy who coached LeBron James and uh, Kobe Bryant in the NBA. He went and got a guy that played with Michael Jordan <laughs> with the Bulls, you know? I mean, I mean, yeah, when you go into home and you've got guys that say, you know, hey, I coached Buddy Hill. I coached, uh, you know, uh, this guy. I coached LeBron. I coached Kobe. I coached – I played with Michael Jordan. Hey, these kids – those are names that people can relate to. You know what I mean? I mean, no matter who you like, which your teams you follow, when you go into a home and you say, I coach LeBron, I play with Michael, and I coach Kobe, those are three names. I don't care how young a kid is. Those are three basketball names that everybody knows, you know, and, and, and knows. And, and that's what – that's what that's what he went and got his staff because of that. It's just amazing. And then he's a workaholic, like I said. He 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 and he teaches along the way. It's not just throw the ball up and hope for something good. He teaches them. And and honestly, he could probably be if you're a player, he could probably be a little annoying at times in the fact that he's so stickler and fundamental. But at the end of the day. The people who listen to him, look at the improvement that Matt Jones made this year. I mean, when you look at the improvement, if you listen to him and do what he tells you, you will get a lot better. And that's why I'd like to see Isaiah Joe come back for another year, play the full season, get learn more under Musselman, and then next year have a chance to be drafted fairly high in the NBA draft. Well, and that was my next question, actually. You read right into it, Otis. We're talking to Otis Kirk. He covers the Arkansas Razorbacks for Hogville and Pig Trail Nation. Isaiah Joe entered the draft, but he did not hire an agent, which means he's eligible to come back. Right. You know, knowing what you know about Isaiah, um, which way do you are you leaning? Do you think he's going to – because I agree with you. His stake – he has a lot better – um, you know, stake at playing with Arkansas next year up in that draft uh, pick number and maybe, you know, moving way up because right now he's not expected to go, you know, in the maybe, you know, what, in the middle rounds maybe? So uh, what would you do? I mean, you know, I mean, some places don't even have him in the draft. Here's my thinking on this. I mean, I'm an NBA fan. I'm an obvious Laker diehard. But here's my thinking on the NBA. You first, there's no, there may not be, we don't know. I mean, there may not be a combine this year that you can go to. Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a mark against Joe. There may not be individual team workouts uh, in person. That's a, that's another way you could move up that you can't, that you may not be able to. There may not be a, a summer league in Vegas. I mean, I think the teams are still going to be playing regular season basketball when the summer league would have been held. So, there goes a lot of ways that you can go to make a team and impress scouts, and and he may not get an opportunity to do any of that. So how do you move up that high in the draft if you if you can't do any of that? You know, I mean, they may have virtual deals or workouts, but those are not the same. And and you know, and I'm gonna tell you something about Isaiah Joe. People may not know him, don't know how intelligent that kid is. Very smart, intelligent kid. He's the type that if you got him in the room with you and you're a general manager of a team or coach and you talk to him, that's going to move him up. That's going to move him up because the kid is super intelligent, very good talker, very smart, and it's real. And and that's why I'd like to see Joe come back and maybe all this other stuff clear out and him get a chance to really go to the combine, talk to teams one-on-one because when he does that, you know, he, he, you know, he's going to impress people because he can really 
He's very intelligent, and people, you know, everybody likes intelligent people. I mean, you know, they, they can just do things for you that other people may not be able to do. Now, if I'm correct, what, what I he was the SEC uh, scoring leader last year. And Jones, yeah, Jones. Oh, I'm sorry, Jones was. Yeah, Jones was. Yeah. Now Joe missed some games when Arkansas didn't have him. When Arkansas didn't have him, some games they got. They lost some games that you know they probably would have won with him. Biggest thing with Isaiah is he 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 he, he doesn't create shot well off the dribble stuff, and he doesn't. I mean, if he's a, if he's open, he can hit them. But uh, there's a lot of things that he can work to improve on, and he can make that leap. I mean, Matt Jones was a junior this year. Look at the leap he made from his sophomore year to his junior year, and that's what Isaiah Joe can do. And if he does that. And some of this other stuff smooths out, and there's, there's actual basketball workouts and stuff next year. Then he can move up. He might even move at the end of the first round next year. So that's where that's where he could really pay off. I, my gut tells me that I, I, that I, Joe will come back, but but man, I, he may not. But I mean, I think it's a big gamble for him to go. A big gamble. And how much more of a better team that team would be with him on that team? Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. Now, before I let you go, Otis, um, I have to ask you this question. You know, spring sports altogether were canceled this year, which included baseball. I'm a huge baseball fan. Very, very big baseball fan. College and uh, Major League Baseball. From your perspective, how hard was it not to have spring sports this year? And how hard was the impact on these student-athletes? Well, it's tough. I mean, you know, you got guys like Heston Kerstead that's going to be drafted, obviously, in the draft coming up in June. They don't get drafted, but they really had a chance to go out and have success this year, maybe do things that Arkansas hadn't been done in the World Series three years in a row and stuff. It really hurts them, and, and it, it's just it – just, it was there, they played some, and it was kind of taken away from them, you know. And even not just the spring sport, but like the girls' basketball, they were going to the NCAA tournament. Who knows what could have happened. When you get in the tournament, you get you can get on a run. You don't have to be the better team. You can get on a run there. You know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. You never know what would happen. And you just feel for the kids because, you know, some of these kids, that this was their last year playing college baseball, and they're not going to get to go to the college war series or even have a chance. And they might not have gone anywhere, but they're not going to have a chance. I think it's a, I mean, it, it has to really be brutal blow to them. But, but you know, I mean, hey, it's, um, it's kind of the times. I mean, this this year has been that way. I mean, we've seen a lot of weird things happen in 2020. It's been a strange year. Kobe Bryant got killed, you know, and just it's just things that you just don't, I don't know. It's just been a, a it's just been a strange year. So everything's been kind of strange, but I'm sure those kids really were, Really, were taken back. I mean, hurt by that, and it, it's it's sad, but it's kind of the reality of the way it, things are right now. Absolutely. Well, Otis, I want to thank you very much for taking the time with us this morning to join us on Frankly Speaking Sports. Well, thank you for asking me. Like I said, anytime I can be on here and help you, let me know. I mean, I'd be glad to. And uh, I appreciate. I really do appreciate you asking me to be on here. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you coming on. Maybe we'll see each other at a Razorback game. You bet. Come up and introduce. Hey, uh, have a good day. Be safe and and uh, and take it easy. And good luck with everything. Talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. Thank you.
That was Otis Kirk. He covers the Arkansas Razorbacks for Hogville and Pig Trail Nation. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. Want to remind us if you have any questions, concerns, thoughts you want to talk about, you can leave a message link right at the end of this podcast. We will get it on our next episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. You can also email us at franklyspeaking528 at gmail.com. Follow us in many places. First of all, follow us on Twitter, at Larry Frankis, with the U.S. at the end. Also, the fastest growing sportsbook group page in the nation, Frankly Speaking Sports. If you're not a member, join us. Become a member. Invite your friends. Have them become members, too. We go ahead and put all our interviews, all the latest updated sports information you need to know, goes on that group page. And then we're also on YouTube. That's right, YouTube. Any of these interviews we did, like the great interview we just did with Otis Kirk, um, who covers the Arkansas Razorbacks for Hogville and Pig Trail Nation. That video will be on YouTube later on this evening. Also, all our previous interviews that we have done, which such great guests as uh, Rich Herrera, Greg Orman of The Athletic, Al Keck, the legendary sportscaster out of Tampa Bay, Zach Plobner, just to name a few, Ed Hearn, former New York Met 10 World Series champion. All those interviews are on that. And it gets better, guys, because tomorrow we have another interview. That's right. We have Jeremy Schulman, the head basketball coach of Eastern Florida. Listen to Jeremy's record. He's 257 wins, 78 losses as a college head coach, and he has 672 wins as a coach in his career. Just an incredible, incredible coach. He uh, is the head coach of Eastern Florida. He'll talk about some junior college. We're going to go into him about junior college and you know, the avenues some of these kids take to not just go to these big-time NCAA Division I schools, but we'll talk about them also using that avenue to get to the pros. So a really great show planned on for tomorrow. Then on Thursday, Michael Barron, former SNY reporter, he covers the New York Mets, will be joining us. He also worked for Major League Baseball. So we'll be talking a lot of baseball. Hopefully something happens within the next 48 hours. What timing that would be to have Michael on right after they announce that the season is going to start. It would be beautiful. Then Friday, it doesn't slow down at Frankly Speaking Smart. We got another great guest, but we're going to keep that one a secret because it's planned on happening, but we don't want to announce it until it's official. Uh, so we don't want to tease you here. So all week long, we will continue to have great, great guests. Also, if I have any athletes, any general managers, anybody in the sports field that would like an opportunity to come on this show, just let me know. Contact me. You know the different ways you can contact me. You know, I know we talked a little earlier about 
some of these camps opening up in Major League Baseball. The NFL, as I said earlier, is the same. A lot, I think 20 of the 32 teams have officially opened up their facilities. Now, it is not open to coaches um, and it is not open to players yet. It is open to all the other administrative people. They're allowed to have, I think, up to 75 people at one time in the facility. But just to let you know, if you haven't heard it yet, the NFL facilities, 20 of 32 of them, were able to open as of today. As we get more information, we will pass it on to you. And we will use our Frankly Speaking sports page if something happens before tomorrow. I want to thank you all for joining us today. Hopefully you enjoyed Otis. What a great, great perspective. You know, you Arkansas fans, um, you know, I was telling you that we might have a surprise guest this Friday or this Monday. And guess what? It's more information and more talk about Arkansas sports. Baby, I love this state. We'll see you tomorrow on Frankly Speaking Sports. Welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and what a great show we have planned for you today. Originally, we were supposed to have Jeremy Schulman, the head coach of Eastern Florida, joining us. Unfortunately, that will not happen today. But don't worry, folks. We will have the head coach on next Friday, May 29th. So mark that down on your calendar. As far as today goes, we will not have a guest, but want to remind you, tomorrow we will have the great Michael Barron, the former Sports Channel New York writer and Major League Baseball writer who covered the New York Mets, will be joining us live. Again, that's tomorrow, Michael Barron, right here on Frankly Speaking Sports. You know, a lot's been going on. A lot of things are starting to open up in the country. I know I'm in here in Arkansas, and I'm seeing things every day starting to open. Rest, Not just restaurants now, but even the bars in the restaurants are opening. And as of Monday, even the standalone bars are going to be opening. So it's great, really great news to see all this starting to happen and for us trying to get back to some form of of normalcy. Unfortunately, Major League Baseball has not necessarily seen it the same way as everybody else. And on today's show, we're going to talk about Major League Baseball, their ludicrous 67-game, I'm sorry, 67-page report on safety and protocol. And then later on, we're going to get into a topic that Definitely needs to be discussed that a lot of people are shying away for, for whatever reason. But it's the Rooney Rule in the NFL um, that is trying to help implement getting more minorities hired in top-level positions. So we will be talking about that as well today. Um, we're going to start off with Major League Baseball and, you know... 
We've talked about Major League Baseball many, many times on many, many episodes on Frankly Speaking Sports, and we have not necessarily, at least in my opinions, been a big fan of the commissioner, and he has done nothing short of making me change my mind um, with this latest safety protocol. And, you know, let me, let me explain this. Baseball needs to get back. Baseball is losing a lot of money. But the number one issue, and I think we can all agree on this, no matter whether you're the commissioner, a fan, or even anyone that doesn't know anything about sports, the number one issue and the number one focus has to be on the safety of everyone, of everyone involved from the players, to the personnel, to the fans, to the sportscasters, to the sports writers, and so on and so on. I don't think anyone has disagreed with that. But you take a look at this 67-page uh, policy and procedure that the commissioner's office wants to put in place, and then maybe you'll understand why I say this guy has no place being in the position as commissioner of baseball. It's just ludicrous. It's ludicrous. And I won't spell that word because it's too difficult. But I don't see, you know, if you have 67 pages, and I want everybody to remember something. These are typed pages. These are not handwritten pages. 67 pages of safety protocols. Then why the heck are you going to play the game? There is no reason to play the game. If it's that unsafe where you have to have 67 pages, you can't play the game. There's just no way. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't need 67 pages. The commissioner is smoking something. I don't know what. But once again, he continues to show why he lacks the leadership as commissioner of baseball. You know, you gotta be crazy. Let's let's listen to the um I think I got 10 of them right here. Just highlight some of these things in this 67 page. Number one, those not participating in the game would sit six feet apart, possibly in the stands. So he's taking all the players that are in all the dugouts, well, two dugouts per game. And saying you got to sit in the stands and spaced out. Okay, l let me ask you this. I was under the impression that they were going to test every player before playing at some point. And they were going to test them a, quite a few times a week. I don't remember. I think it was at least three times a week, if not more. Why the hell do you then got to go ahead and sit these players six feet apart if you already tested them, I can go to a bar today and I'm allowed to sit next to a person. It doesn't make sense. That's number one. No high fives, fist pumps, hugging, spitting, chewing tobacco, or sunflower seeds. All right. I, I can understand with, you know, no spitting. You know, you're spitting your saliva. People are touching something that it goes on. I know, sounds disgusting. As far as fist pumps, 
high fives. First of all, a good percentage of your baseball glo- uh, baseball players wear batting gloves. I think very few, if none. There might still be one or two that are old school. Um, as far as elbow pumps and fist pumps and stuff like that, hey, fine. Whatever you want to do. But, you know, you're basically telling these players to go out on the field and show no emotion. He's saying show no emotion. Baseball is not a game. Athletics is not a game where you play without emotions. Then the next one, no mascots or bat boys. All right. If you don't want the Philly fanatic, if Mr. Met has to go on a honeymoon with Mrs. Met, that's fine. That's not a big part of the game. And I want to make something clear here. When you're talking about rules, if the rules are outside of the game, and what I mean is fans should separate so much apart, that's not a rule that's going to change the game of baseball. But some of these rules, when you listen to them, they're changing the game. They're changing the way the game is played. And if you're going to change the way the game is played, then it's not baseball anymore. Don't play it. I mean, you it's just amazing me how some of these rules. Um, the one temperature screening at least twice a day. Again, this one's common sense. That one's fine. But if you're doing the screening, you're doing the testing, and then you're doing the temperature testing, that should be enough. Okay? Players should wash or sanitize their hands after every half inning. All right. You know, I'll go with that. All right. No use of saunas, steam rooms, or therapy pools, which means... That if you're one of those players, and the game of baseball is a lot of twists and muscle pulls and ankle twists, whatever you want to call it, you rely on some of those facilities to help yourself. Now, I understand you don't want different people sitting in those waters and contaminating them, but once again, these are the same people that you tested. Why the hell test them? It doesn't make sense. Okay. Then, when the ball is out of play or in between pitches, fielders are encouraged to retreat several steps away from the base runner. If this applies to things like try to keep runners close at second base, it's wrong. In other words, you 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 have a guy on second base, your second baseman is trying to lean over, or your shortstop is trying to get behind the runner to pick him off. They don't want you doing that. That is not the game of baseball. If you're going to change the rules, you might as well not have the game. It's stupid, stupid, stupid. Okay? Every ball put in play gets tossed out. Every ball put in play. Okay. Doesn't that happen most of the time every way? Anyway, you put a ball in play, boom, it goes out. Very rarely do you see them use the same baseball. That's not going to be a change. Post-game showers are discouraged. Okay. that That's the grossest thing I ever heard. 
I mean, what is wrong with men taking a shower? Okay? It's a shower. If you're making sure the facilities are sanitized and clean, you have nothing to worry about. You're testing these players. You have nothing to worry about. He is putting every little, little thing in there to try to make them not play the game. It's almost like the commissioner of baseball doesn't want to play baseball. Players would not be allowed to leave hotels while on the road without approval. Okay, if the government is allowing them to leave the hotel, why can't the players? You're going to be testing the players. It, okay, baseball needs to stop having their own set of rules and listen to what the experts are saying. If the governor of Colorado came out today and said, let's do it, let's play baseball, what are we waiting for? Governor of New York, where the highest death rates are, saying his stadiums will be open to play baseball. Commissioner, wake the heck up! Okay, then another one of the rules that really gets me is if a ground ball, if a ball has touched more than one player, they want to throw the ball out. Every single play, you're going to have the ball touched by more than one person. The umpire has to give the ball to the catcher, who gives the ball to the pitcher, who throws the ball back to the catcher. If it's a swing and miss or a ball, the catcher throws the ball back to the pitcher. Then if it's hit, the fielder feels the ball. If it's a ground ball, the ball is fielded, thrown to first base, and thrown back to the pitcher. Are you crazy? You talk about slowing down a game. You know... It just amazes me. When you have a protocol and a safety plan that is 67 pages long, that is ridiculous. Basically, if you need a 67-page plan for safety, then it's not safe to play. And I want to make sure that I'm emphasizing this to all my listeners, okay? I believe that safety is the number one thing by far in this game. I know people, I've been affected by COVID-19 from the aspect of knowing people that have passed away, knowing people that are my friends know, whether it's their mother-in-laws or father-in-laws that have passed away. I have a good buddy, a good family friend. He passed away. So I know, don't look at me and tell me I don't know what COVID-19 can do. But if you're doing all the testing, that, that te- you know, taking all these tests, you're just wasting these tests if you're implementing all these other rules. Don't, you don't need the test. My goodness. It's, the, it's like they're in jail the way Major League Baseball wants to treat these players. And it's almost like Major League Baseball, and I've said this a couple times, at least from the commissioner's perspective, they don't want to play. You know, he cries about how much money um, I think he said another four to eight billion dollars they could lose this year by not playing Major League Baseball, and yet he still tries to make it as difficult as possible. Now, I agree there has to be certain safety measures involved in keeping these players safe. I agree that you have to have certain testing. But after that point, how far are we going to take this? 
I mean, and if I'm wrong, please, I would love to hear your feedback on this message link. Uh, leave me a quick voice message and tell me if I'm wrong. But it's um, it's just, I can't understand 67 pages, okay? if it, it's, it's real simple, and we can end this segment real quickly by just stating, if it's not safe to play the game, then don't play the game. You don't need, if you need 67 pages of protocols, then you need to go ahead and cancel the season. It's that simple. It's that simple. You know, it, it's amazing. You know, the next thing you're going to see is they're going to say you can't adjust your cup. I mean, come on, guys. I know that sounds funny and ridiculous, but I'm just trying to make a point here. And I don't want to keep dragging this on and on, but the Major League Baseball Commissioner is a position of leadership. We need people in that position that lead, that motivate, that educate, that explain to people that things are safe and to take things on his back and run with it. I have not seen that person. We have not had that person since Roger, um, excuse me, since uh, Robert Manfred has taken over as commissioner of baseball. And I think one big thing after we finally get back to normalcy is um, the Major League Baseball owners and the ones who vote on who's the commissioner of baseball really need to take a close, close look at this character they have in office right now and do something about replacing him. We'll be back right after this. Don't tell people about your plans or what you want to achieve. Show them. Show them results. Have positive results. Yes, make things happen, and they can see it. You don't have to tell them because it's right there, man, in black and white. You get it done. Get the job done. It's as simple as that. It's like a coach talking to a team. We can talk all day about our plans. We got to go on the floor, and we got to execute, be efficient, and get that W, and there the W speaks for itself. Same in the corporate world, same in life. Get it done up to you to make things happen in a positive manner. My motivational tip of the day. Hey, don't tell Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. want to once again remind you that the great Michael Barron will be joining us tomorrow live on Frankly Speaking Sports. If you're not sure who Michael Barron is, he's former reporter for SNY and for Major League Baseball, and covered the New York Mets. So we'll be talking some more baseball tomorrow. We'll ask Michael a bunch of things as far as what he thinks of this safety protocol we just discussed, the upcoming season, some of the things for the New York Mets, maybe how the DH will be implemented in the National League, or whatever league it will be called this upcoming year. So Michael Barron tomorrow. Also want to remind you, if you have any questions, things you want to talk about, topics you want us to discuss, leave a message right at the end of this podcast. There'll be a message link. You leave it, we'll play it on the next episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. Also, you can email us at franklyspeaking528 at gmail.com. 
We have a Twitter account, at Larry Frankis. That's with the U.S. at the end. Follow us on Twitter. We also have the biggest, fastest growing Facebook group called Frankly Speaking Sports. Get updated on all the latest news. We put all our podcasts on there. All our live interviews we put on there. As well as YouTube. YouTube now, baby. We got YouTube. We put all the interviews we do. We take out of our actual broadcast. And we go ahead and we put them on YouTube for your listening pleasure. So subscribe to that. It's free. It's a free subscription to Frankly Speaking Sports YouTube. What are you waiting for? Stop listening to me. Go ahead. You know, over the past couple of days, um, I've been listening to different reports out of the NFL about the Rooney Rule. And, you know, basically... What the Rooney Rule does, and I want to explain this correctly, it's trying to help improve diversity in the uh, coaching ranks and front office, high executives, just in general, minorities hirings in the NFL. And they came up with a couple of rule changes, and I want to go over with which, you know, anything that helps minority hiring in the NFL is a good thing. Because it's the one thing the NFL is lacking right now. And for some reason, so many sportscasters, so many sports writers are having a lot of difficulty discussing this topic. And I'm not sure why. I really don't. You know, speculation is that they're afraid they might say something wrong and or slip up. Uh, I don't know what the reason is. What are you going to slip up on? If you're not prejudiced, if you believe in equal rights, then you have nothing to worry about. You should be able to say whatever the heck you want because it's going to come out the right way. And in this case, anyone that knows me is, you know, I believe everybody's equal. I always have. I always will. And the NFL is no different as far as I'm concerned when it comes to hiring minorities. Right now, we are in a terrible position in the NFL when it comes to hiring minorities. In a league that is made up of 70% African-American players, and for them to only have, I think it's four head coaches and two general managers that are black, is crazy. I don't know how. Um, it tells me that the NFL is doing something wrong. And some of the changes in this Rooney rule, among them are teams will now be required to interview at least two candidates from outside their organization for any vacant head coaching job and at least one minority candidate from outside their organization for any vacant offensive, defensive, or uh, uh, special teams coordinated job. So my question is, were they not allowing people before to seek other people for those positions? That's number one. The NFL changed its anti-tampering policy to relax the rules that have allowed teams to deny assistant coaches and executives the opportunity to interview for jobs with other organizations. Then the Rooney Rule is um, expanded to apply to a number of executive positions, such as human resources, Q 
communications, finance, and so on, football operations. Each of the 32 NFL teams will establish a minority coach and fellowship program. The coach and fellowships ought to be full-time position, 102 years in length, to provide NFL legends, minority, and female participants with hands-on training and NFL coaching. Okay, Like I stated, currently the NFL has four minority head coaches and two minority general managers, um, which to me is, you know, I don't... I don't see how you can't have more. And we're going to go into a topic in a little bit. And I'm going to hit on it hard. You know, some of you may like what I got to say. Some of you may not. And that's why I always say we agree to disagree on this show. But I don't hold back. My listeners want to know this information. They want to know what I think. And I'm going to be up front with you. And if you like it, great. If you're not, you can comment or whatever. But before we do that... I want you to go ahead to listen to uh, Lewis Reddick, um, who was very optimistic about the changes. Lewis Reddick is a former safety in the NFL. It almost feels like it's frozen. With Capital One. All right. We'll get that for you in one moment here. Lou, do you, you think this is a, a good next first step in helping minority coaches get positions? Yeah, there's, there's no question about that. Look, coordinator positions typically lead to head coaching positions, unless, of course, you're a quarterback coach, which could automatically catapult you to the front of the list when it even comes to being a head coach. But there's no question about that. You need to allow upward mobility. You don't need to be able to or be, you know, empowered to stifle people's progress. And that means for coaches overall, you want to have people continuing to work to lift everyone up. And for minorities in particular, they have to be allowed to ascend into coordinating positions. And the one thing I want to say about about coordinators overall is this. I don't care if it's offensive or defensive coordinators because let, let me let, let's just talk about this. I know there's a lot of talk about quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators needing to be the positions that minorities need to get to. Look, I, I personally think that owners need to open their minds and really start looking at some of the history of some of the great coaches and where they come from and stop following everyone else's lead and thinking that you just have to copy what everyone else has to do. Mike Tomlin was a defensive coach. Bill Cowher was a defensive coach. Tony Dungy was a defensive coach. Bill Belichick was a defensive coach. John Harbaugh was a defensive coach. What do these guys all have in common? They all won Super Bowls. This is It's about competency, credibility, positively impacting people. Let people ascend into the positions and then evaluate them based off of those criteria. Let's not make it more difficult by saying all minorities in particular have to become quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators in order to become head coaching jobs. What they need to be is great teachers and great leaders, and you need to evaluate them as such. If you do that... I would guarantee you that people's hit rates when it comes to hiring head coaches would improve as the teams that hired those individuals I just mentioned wound up hitting big on those type of coaches. as well. And I agree with Lewis 100%. And that's what I was going to get into. And, um, you know, this is not... I want to say this the right way, and I said I'm going to say it the right way, is this isn't about the color of your skin or your ethnic background. This is about hiring competent people. Now, there are many, many minorities out there who are competent to be head coaches or 
general managers in the NFL. There is no way. You can't tell me that, you know, when I w- was a coach and when I was around head coaches, why they're playing the game, they're evaluating those players. They know whether those players have the ability to be great coaches down the road. That's when you start evaluating these players. Are they great leaders? Are they great motivators? Are they great teachers? You cannot tell me that you have 70% of a league that is African American and you can't find at least 10% of those players that have the ability to go on to be head coaches or general managers or in executive positions in the NFL. You are full of crap. They're out there. For some reason, you're not looking for them. Now, on the other hand, I don't think anyone should be hired solely because of an ethnic background or color of their skin. They have to be qualified to do the job. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that. For the NFL to come out and say, you have to, is BS. Okay? No, NFL, you have to help us in identifying quality candidates. They are out there in every aspect of sport. Okay, they are, like uh, Lewis said, defensive coordinators that are very capable to be head coaches. Don't tell me only offensive coaches are successful in the NFL. Like he mentioned, the Bill Belichicks, the Tony Dungeons, the Mike Tomlins, the Harbaugh's, they've all been successful on the defensive side of the football becoming head coaches. So don't tell me it's just got to be offense. And then if that was the case, someone please tell me why Eric Bellamy of the Kansas City Chiefs is not yet a head coach. He is definitely qualified. You know, we have 70% of the NFL that is African American, which means we roughly have 1,700 players. I believe it's 50 players on each team times 32 teams, okay? Um, So just under 1,700, I believe it comes to, my quick math, 1,696, somewhere in that area, okay? Which means almost 1,200 of the players are minorities. Come on! You can't tell me out of those 1,200 players as they start to retire that none of them are qualified, okay? There are many qualified people. Now, I my question would come up, is the interview process wrong, okay? Is there a list of qualified candidates that each team have, whether you're white, black, Spanish, um, whatever your ethnic background or college would be, is there a list of qualified candidates? And if there is, are you utilizing that list? That's number one. Number two, okay, how many people are doing these interviews? Let's look at this logically. If anybody could look me in the eye and tell me racism is not involved in every single sport, they are lying. Now, it is wrong to be involved. Believe me, racism has no place in any sport or in this world. It nauseates me how anybody can judge anybody's character 
on the color of their skin. It is completely wrong. Even Martin Luther King, it, the great Martin Luther King, who I've idolized since I've been a kid, he has said, one day, I hope that my four children will one day live in a nation where they're not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And that's the same thing with coaching and all these positions. It's not your skin color. These people that are doing the interview have to realize it's the content of your character, your ability to lead, your ability to educate, your ability to motivate, your ability to win and be successful. And right now, that is not getting done in the NFL, as well as other sports. They should have it where not only the team owner or team general manager is doing the interviews, but maybe they need to pull somebody in from the NFL office who has to do the final interview to approve that coaching position. And I also put some blame on all the owners in the NFL, because where are you going to seek candidates? Where are you going? Is it just your own team? Is it outside the league to look for great talent? There is so much great talent, not just in the NFL, but at the college level too. There is so much talent out there. If you are qualified for a position... You deserve the right at that job, no matter what the color of your skin or your ethnic background. And if for some reason these people in the NFL are not encouraging minorities to go ahead and interview, I don't know. But And if for some reason minorities just aren't asking to be interviewed, I don't know why, but for someone to look me in the eye and say that you can have a league that is 70% minority players and not be able to find anyone out of those 1,200 people that are qualified for an executive position or a head coaching job is ludicrous. It is 100% ludicrous. And the NFL should be ashamed of themselves. You know what? They need to make a stand. You know, there is no place for racism in the NFL. And if they find someone out who is being racist and is not hiring a qualified candidate because of the color of their skin, they need to ban them for life in the NFL. They need to make a strong example out of someone because once again, there is no place for racism in this world. We are in 2020. We need to get past this. And I don't know why people can struggle with this so much. You know, if you look, what is the difference? We are all human beings. It don't make sense to me how we can judge people solely on a particular color. That is ridiculous, and it needs to change. We'll be back right after this. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. I uh, want to remind you once again, we will have Michael Barron, former SNY writer and writer for Major League Baseball who covered the New York Mets on tomorrow's show. So you definitely don't want to miss that. We also have some very, very sad news out of the wrestling world today that former WWE star Shad Gaspard has been found dead and identified um, on Venice Beach, uh, Los Angeles. Uh, policeman has reported he supposedly went out swimming with his 10-year-old son this weekend and was taken away by a wave and out to sea and unfortunately uh, he passed away. So very, very sad news out of the wrestling world. Um, Want to remind you all once again that we have many different platforms you can listen to our podcast on um, from Spotify to Google to Breaker. You can also go to the fastest growing group page, Frankly Speaking Sports, on Facebook, and we put all our podcasts, all our interviews, and all the latest updated sports news right on there. It's growing fast. Um, also, I want to do remind you, we are now on YouTube. That is correct. You can listen to all the interviews we do. And believe me, we have a lot of past interviews that are on that uh, YouTube channel, as well as the future ones will be on it. And I'll tell you right now, we are booked. We have a guest tomorrow. We have a guest Friday. Monday, we're debating whether we're going to work or not. But we got a guest Tuesday and Wednesday and next Friday for you. So we'll book for the next two weeks. And we're going to try to get more and more guests on as we go. So some great guests coming up in the next two weeks here on Frank Frankly Speaking Sports. And the channel on YouTube is also called, guess what? Frankly Speaking Sports. Today we're going to have a shorter version of our podcast due to the fact we were supposed to have a guest Jeremy Schulman was supposed to join us today, but don't worry, folks. The great junior college ba head basketball coach of Eastern Florida will be joining us next Friday on the 29th, a week from this Friday. So we'll get to talk to him about junior college basketball and the effect, you know, the current situation in the world is having on that industry as well. Want to thank everybody for joining us today, and we'll see you tomorrow on another episode of Frankly Speaking Swats.